0: keen to hear him and see what he says. Um, so uh, today I'm just going to start with a, a silly story. I went to um, see some leaders the other day in Great Missenden and I was there and there was, as you do at these things there's tea and coffee and uh, I went to the tea and coffee and there was a taller sort of man there uh, who was holding a cup and I looked at him in the eye and he looked at me in the eye and he was holding the cup and I was sort of leaning towards him and then he went, Ugo. And I, I took the cup, and I went, oh, Hugo, my name's Simon. Nice to meet you. I talked to him for about five minutes, then I went, wait, wait, wait. Your name's not Hugo, is it? He went, no, it's not. And for the rest of the time, he called me Hugo because he thought it was so funny. So it was just, and that guy is, uh, is Matt Partridge, who's the brother of Jim Partridge, who made me an elder. And so he's told Jim, and now I'm never going to forget it. So it's, it's, it's Hugo, if you're new. Uh, No, my name is actually Simon. But anyway, uh, anyway, today I've got a number of things to share. Um, They kind of, some of them have been bubbling away on my heart, uh, and I was encouraged again this morning, as you can be in God, when He brings a picture spontaneously that you're already going to talk about. And uh, some of you might know what I mean. Uh, There was a prophetic word from Claire Blades called "All Hands on Deck" that was brought to us in early December. And I just wanted to comment on it, because I believe it's significant for us as a church. I mean, God has already been speaking, and we've already been encouraged. And I just want to add to that, uh, that sense of the wind's about to blow, and there's excitement and good things, and the Spirit coming to, uh, to bring us alive and bring us forward. Uh, so that's one thing I want to talk about. Another thing is an introduction to this series, the sermon series we're doing, um, this term called Pursuing Jesus. I'll talk a bit about that. And then I've just got two observations from four verses in chapter four of Luke, and, uh, and we'll see how we get on uh, time-wise for them. But I'm keen also to, to respond at the end. We've, we've already kind of had opportunity today to say to Jesus, please fill me with your Holy Spirit. But I actually, again, I believe there's more for us. I believe there's more for us there in that, that, uh, that actually he, he's got in store. So... Let's start uh, with praying, and uh, I really need God to sustain me today. I'm going to talk about it, and uh, I want him to speak to you too. So if you want to, you can pray with me. Father, I do come before you this morning, and thank you, praise you, worship you. You want to be with us, and you, you allow us to be in your presence through faith in Jesus. We're so grateful for that. And now we ask, come, Holy Spirit, again, speak to our hearts, transform us again, and bless us as a church, we pray. Amen. Amen. So all hands on deck. Some of you might remember this picture. Claire said this, and she wrote it down, so I'm going to read it to you. She said, at the staff meeting on Thursday, 2nd of December, I believe God showed me a map, much like the one behind me. We, King's Church, were in a yacht sailing south down the west coast of Africa. It was plain sailing from Gabon to Namibia, but as we approached the Cape of Good Hope, the sea became very choppy. It stayed choppy until we rounded the Cape and started to sail up the east coast of Africa where the water became calm again. I felt God was warning me slash us that things are going to be a bit choppy for a while and encouraging us that we will make it through. I didn't like the idea of going through the choppy water so I asked God why we couldn't sail through the Strait of Gibraltar and the Suez Canal and avoid the Cape of Good Hope. He told me that we don't become good sailors by sailing on calm water. So that's part one of this picture. I'm just going to comment on it and the map's behind me, which Claire has kindly put together for us. She's brilliant at that kind of thing. So the first thing I noticed was that this, uh, when reading and praying over this, was that it's going to be choppy for a while. And I sense that it's important just to say from from this position, really, if you're feeling that, that's okay. If you're feeling a bit of choppiness, a bit of unsettledness, then that's all right. It's going to be like it for a while, but the main thing is God is going to bring us through. We will make it through. And it reminded me of the time that um, Jesus and his disciples, they get in a boat and Jesus says, let's go across to the other side of the lake. And they get out in the middle. There's a squall, there's a storm. Jesus is asleep and they think they're going to drown these disciples and they wake him up and he calms the storm. And then he says, where is your faith? He's kind of saying, why didn't you believe me? That When I said, but we're going to go across the lake, that we're going to go across the lake. We're not going to drown in the middle. And it's sort of a, a challenge in a way to his disciples to learn to trust him and his word, whatever the circumstances may look like around them. And in this case, he said, we're going to make it through and we will. And so that swells my faith. On top of Artie's exhortation to have faith last week during our worship, I was encouraged. And now I'm doubly encouraged because again, God today has brought a picture of a ship going forward with the three masts that Kevin described earlier on. So again, it's, it's stirring me and I hope it's stirring you to believe that we're going to come through and the wind is going to blow. And so the next part in this that jumped out at me was the chosen route. You can see it on the map. And I can just imagine Claire asking God in that kind of slightly cheeky way she does, uh, why can't we just go a, like a different route? Why do we have to go through the choppy water? And God's reply, so gentle, so firm, because we don't become good sailors by sailing in calm waters. Now, in real life, sailing-wise, uh, I don't have a great history, I pretty much threw up all the way to Denmark when I was nine for Legoland, it was worth it, and then, and then I threw up all the way back again, and then a couple of years ago Tom Corbett, some might know him, took me sailing in Buell Water and I got smashed by the boom when I wasn't paying attention, but I'd have faith that if I practiced, if I went sailing more often, perhaps my stomach would get used to it and I'd become better equipped but in this picture, I don't think we're actually going sailing. Sorry if anyone is disappointed by that. I actually think it's talking about us as disciples. I believe Jesus wants to grow us. He wants to train us to be his disciples. And you might think, well, I've been a disciple for 30 years. Well, you still get to train, you know, like how first aid you do a refresher course every now and again. Well, it's not quite the same. It's just like one long journey, but I do believe he wants to do that. He's still got things to teach us to show us and we're to remain teachable and let him do so and so this longer route and the choppy water i think are going to be his kind of tools to train us because by the end of the voyage we want to be closer to him we want to be more like him and certainly by the end of that voyage you know how when you're on a on a ship uh, there's no getting off if you're in the middle of the ocean and god really brought this to my attention he said king's church you're going to be together a lot. (laughs) You're going to be together, and you're going to learn from one another, and, and Jesus particularly, especially, and you're going to become better disciples on this voyage. Which brings us to the second part, which was what Claire brought on, the Sunday 5th of December. She said, I felt God added to the picture. I found myself gazing at cruise liners nearby, wishing I was on board one of them, instead of the yacht that I was in. I could see people drinking gin and tonic next to a swimming pool. Lovely you think. Uh, And they they were enjoying the view of Table Mountain down there in South Africa. And then she said, I'm not really a cocktail drinker. And so my thoughts turned to other options. Should I bail out in a lifeboat and go alone for a while? And the cruise liner and the lifeboat represented different ways of avoiding the choppy water, ways such as moving church or taking a break from church for a while. And as I was having these thoughts, I felt God impress on me that I was needed on the yacht I was on. I felt him say it would be all hands on deck at King's Church for the next little while. And so that's the whole picture. And it's that little phrase at the end that really grabs me. All hands on deck at King's Church for the next little while. And when I looked up on Google, all hands on deck, it was described as a rallying call. A call on to all on board the vessel to gather together in one place. And I think that translates for us to be really keen to respond to the call and gather on Sundays and gather in life groups, and get together. So when it's a call to gather, it's also a call to action. I believe it will be a time now, a season, where we need to help one another, agree in the Lord together, and be supportive, and not just get on with our own individual lives. We'll need to work together, uh, as it were, to use the picture again, to collectively haul that sail, to pull that line, to get that hearty meal on the stove, and just as we're entering into this season, um, we, we have got some good examples of this already, I think, in the form of our meeting makers. So thank you if you've been one of them. Maybe that's something you want to do to, to contribute and get involved. But it's, a, it's another way that I think God is just training us. He's helping us shape our thinking, change our thinking once again. And so that picture, in summary, I felt God was encouraging us to be together on the ship, train together to become good disciples and remember who is steering the yacht? It's Jesus. He's in control, which leads us onto our sermon series, which I think fits just neatly with uh, with that picture. The series we're going to do this term is called Pursuing Jesus, and uh, as I began to pray about this term last year, I thought we might go towards Nehemiah. It's a great book. And uh, at that moment in time, we just had a word about rebuilding, repairing, restoring. And if you know the book of Nehemiah, you know that that's what they do in Jerusalem. They build the wall up and the other parts of the city. And I thought that was going to fit. However, soon after that, I sensed that actually we need to refocus. Actually, this term would be a time to realign, recenter on our Lord Jesus himself, his life, what he's like and what he's about. And I think this is important for us. Uh, Again, this was what I sensed as I was praying it through, because it's been a full-on two years. You've been bombarded with this regulation, that social situations have been awkward, tensions have been raised and they've fallen. And it's like a roller coaster. (laughs) By the end of it, you're kind of, you know, strung out, aren't you? You you feel that perhaps, perhaps you sense that even now. And it's all kind of quite easily going to be. Sorry, it will have all been quite distracting, I should think just focusing on Jesus, just keeping your eyes on him. Well, we're going to try and help each other with this this term, using the series, because that's what it's all going to be about. It's going to be looking at him and saying, what is our teacher teaching us this week? What is our Savior showing us about ourselves this week by his Holy Spirit? And uh, again, it ties in with the yacht picture because, again, I think it's about being together. I think it's about becoming together. So it's like being together, it's about being with Jesus, both individually in your own time, but again, when two or three are gathered, and it's about becoming like him, mimicking him. And uh, in a similar way to the disciples you would read about in the Gospels, we want to imitate Jesus in his ways, his words, his rhythms of life. And it begins with spending time with him. And one way you can spend time with him, uh, this term if you want to, is to follow our little Bible reading plan very simple. We've just produced it um, to, to pick up for you today. And it's a Bible reading plan of Luke's Gospel. So between tomorrow and the Easter holidays, you can read the whole Gospel. So if you, if you like a little reading plan, if you've got one already and you're satisfied, keep going with that. Don't feel like you have to abandon. But even if this is just for one person, I'm glad that I have concord excel and microsoft word to produce it for you and my dad's printer because our printer at the office is broken so uh sorry not broken being replaced and so uh that's there for you got a stack of them at the back love you to take one and dig into god's word and you can read it pray pray before you read it pray when you read it pray afterwards ask god what are you saying very very simple so that's for you for free uh you can have that and so you may have um you may, have, you may do that. You may spend time with Jesus and you may find that by the end of the term, you are starting to change a little bit because you might have experienced this in humanly speaking, but when you spend a lot of time with a certain person, sometimes you become more like them and them like you and you end up finishing each other's... Yes. So that's what happens. You end up finishing each other's sentence. Thank you. That's how well we know each other. Clearly, too much time at New Day together and other things. But uh, no, really good. And, and this happens in our household uh, all the time at the moment. We've got young Ruben. And the other day I asked him, uh, Ruben, would you, like, would you like a drink? And he went, no, thanks, babe. <laughs> I was like, oh, man. And so he's clearly been listening to us too much, uh, and, and focusing on what we're saying, which is good. As a parent, you're like, great, they're hearing what I'm saying. I wish I quoted scripture more often at you, like basically is what I was thinking. But he said, no, thanks, babe. Uh, but he spent time with us. He follows us everywhere, into the loo, out of the loo. He just follows you. And he's kind of our disciple. And, and again, that's what Jesus' disciples are like. If you dig in, if you geek out a bit on the history of how the disciples and disciples of a rabbi would have worked in the first century, they literally followed in the footsteps of the rabbi, having the dust uh, kind of being picked up on them that the rabbi left behind. That's how, that's how intimate and close they were. I and mean, I really want to use this series to draw us back into that. And that's what we want to do. We want to constantly listen and watch our rabbi, our Jesus, and. Focus on His voice by the Spirit. We want to become like Him, and that's what this series is for in this term. And my hope and prayer is that that will indeed happen. That we'll apprentice after Him, and we'll be able to help each other in this as well, building each other up, encouraging uh, awareness of Jesus uh, together. And so that's what I've got faith for. that's what I believe God is going to do with us this term, and uh, it's it's simple. It's it's really simple, isn't it? But I see it as an opportunity to reset. Opportunity to reset, to recenter and realign our lives on the person of Jesus. If you've been tossed and turned by the winds and the waves in the last couple of years, so to speak, it's an opportunity to take this period of time and do that. And so I sense that's one thing. And I sense another thing is that actually there's going to be salvation in this term. And you might look at me and go, well, you're an evangelist. Of course you think there's going to be salvation. But I I genuinely do. I I believe that Jesus is going to bring new people to be among us. Even in the last few weeks, I've kind of got a list, I can count, of of people he's just brought in among us. And I believe he's going to do it. He's going to bring people who don't know him. And that's why our preaching team, I've asked them uh, kindly to make opportunities for King's Church members to share their personal testimony as part of the preaching Uh, In three or four minutes. So, nothing too complex, um, but just to give us another opportunity to tell the stories, to be witnesses, to talk about what Jesus has done in our lives. And so, we'll be doing that. We'll also be inviting people to respond for the first time on a regular basis. So, I just wanted to tell you that so uh, you're aware. And you never know, God might bring someone across your path you think, ah, I'm going to bring you along because I know you'll hear a great story and you'll have an opportunity. And who knows what God might do. And so there you go, that's Pursuing Jesus, the, the series in a kind of nutshell uh, for you, and um, we're going to carry on through the term into that. And now the last thing I want to do um, is focus in on a passage uh, from Luke's Gospel, ha <laughs> surprise, uh, chapter 4, verses 1 to 4. And I appreciate there is a lot in this chapter, there's a lot in even the, great, the larger passage, the further verses after this one, but I've, I've just uh, had it on my heart for a while, and been wrestling with it, to be quite honest, trying to ring out, what, there's so much I could say and we could talk about what is it God wants to say. And um, again, I'm comforted by him today because we've already heard some of the themes that I've drawn out coming through. And so I'll do my very best uh, to do that. So here we are reading Luke's gospel. Luke is a disciple of Jesus. He's a doctor. He went back to gather eyewitness accounts of what happened in Jesus's ministry and life. And it's those he collates together to create this book. And he does the sequel, which is Acts later on. But we're in his fourth chapter after Jesus' birth narratives, uh, his baptism, a genealogy. And this is where it picks up. Luke 4, 1 to 4 says, And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days. And when they were over, he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone. So there's just uh, two things I've drawn out. There's so much, like I say, you could do. But the first thing I, I drew out was the fact that times in the wilderness are powerful. And the second thing I drew out was that we need God to sustain us and to save us. And so. Let's start with times in the wilderness being powerful. They, uh, they indeed are, I believe. So Jesus has been baptized, and if you know Luke's gospel, you'll know the audible voice of God has just crashed out of the heavens and said, this is my son who I love, and I'm well pleased with him. And so Jesus goes from this climax of truth to a testing time in the wilderness. He heads out into the desert, into a dry, arid place, hot in the day, cold at night, And he's paralleling a story of the nation of Israel from way back in Moses' day, um, uh, hundreds, thousands of years before this event, before Jesus heads out. The nation of Israel spent 40 years in the desert walking around. And they too experienced discomfort, difficulty, miraculous provision, guidance, and walking with God but in contrast to Jesus, Israel sinned against God. And an entire generation actually died in the wilderness, if you know the story, before they entered the promised land. And I don't know about you, but that 40 years in a tent is my nightmare. I just wouldn't want to do that. Uh, I know a lot of people like, there's just not enough wet wipes in the world that would get me through that time. And we get through a lot of wet wipes, so I know what I'm talking about. But I remember my first ever Cub Scout camp. I was in the tent till 1205 AM, and that was it. I'd had enough. It was raining, and I, my leader had to drive me the half mile back to my house from the cow scout hut in Godstone, and uh, it's, uh, it's still stuck in my memory. Camping is not for me. Not for me. But Jesus, he goes out into the wilderness, and what stuck out to me here was the fact that this is a time that is ordained by the Spirit. It says Jesus was full of the Holy Spirit, kind of what we've been going after today, like asking God to fill us with the Holy Spirit, and he's full. That's great, And he's led by the Spirit in the wilderness. And the same Holy Spirit appears in the Old Testament. Just like a tapestry, the Bible has these threads through them. And one of the threads is the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit provided for Israel a pillar of fire by night to lead them and a a pillar of cloud by day to lead them. And it's that same Spirit that actually leads us today. So he's not new. We haven't invented him for this time that we're in. He's actually been there the whole time. And actually, I do believe, and um, this might chime with you as well, that although we're talking about a literal wilderness, the desert for Israel and the desert for Jesus when he's out there, we, although we personally may not go out to the desert and struggle and suffer and have times of difficulty in that sort of realm, um, I've heard people describe it before, uh, that there are times in their life that have felt like being in the wilderness. And that, again, might be something that resonates with you. Uh, you might have had a time of loss or grief or pain or confusion or difficulty where you've kind of been clinging on to God, and sometimes you feel like you've lost him, and then you're back with him again. And, and that can be described as a wilderness time. And so sometimes I'm going to talk in the next few minutes about the wilderness literally, and sometimes I'm going to talk about it figuratively to sort of apply it to us. So I just wanted to make that clear. But it's often uh, the case, and it's interesting as you go through Scripture and, and experience in your own life, that these times in the wilderness get used in a profound way. And you might have a testimony like this you want to share at Life Group. And uh, I noted some things that happen in the wilderness that make it a powerful event. And the first thing I noted was that being in the wilderness reveals a person's self-sufficiency. It reveals a belief, if it's there, that we can take care of ourselves without outside aid. It removes that rapidly as well and uh, because once you're in the literal wilderness and the resources are gone when the water's dried up and the foods run out and you've got no shelter even if your name is Bear Grylls you're in trouble Bear Grylls even suffers if you've seen his show Born Survivor he says if I stay here that's it I'm done for and off he pops and uh, and that's the same in the case of the wilderness the literal wilderness where Israel found themselves and I'm sure we would too if we go to the desert and uh that's that's what happens self-sufficiently self-sufficiency gets removed the second thing that occurs is that you become vulnerable in this literal wilderness if you go out to the desert there's not much protection from the elements from the sun there's not much protection from wild animals or even other people that might be out there and so when jesus literally goes to the desert he's out there alone he is super vulnerable and weak because of lack of food as described in the text you didn't even have anyone to fast with. And I don't know if anyone's planning to fast this week in our week of prayer. I encourage you to do so if, you, if you're up for that. I'd love that. Um, it, but it's actually easier sometimes if you're doing it with someone else because you can say, come on, we can do it. And you spur each other on and really no one wants to be that person who breaks the fast early. Uh, so there's also that motivation, not necessarily a godly one, uh, but it's a, it's a motivation nonetheless when you're doing it with a group of people. And so Israel went as a group to the wilderness Jesus just goes alone, and that makes him even more vulnerable. And so self-sufficiency gets removed, and vulnerability uh, comes along as well. So as well as removing security and comfort, wilderness or wilderness times actually have the kind of power in a way, ordained by God, to reveal stuff in our hearts. And um, God knows this, Uh, surprise, surprise, in Deuteronomy 8 verse 2, when describing the Israelite journey through the wilderness, God says this: "And you shall remember that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commands or not." And so in Israel's case, it was God who tested them to know their hearts, and in doing so, he revealed something in them, which is also in us, and that is a natural bent towards rebelling against God and not doing his commands and essentially sinning against him. And so whether we're in the wilderness literally or not, we, we can come to this point that where, like Israel did, where the resources run out, where you get to your wit's end, where you are uh, exhausted, where all things have been stripped away, and that's when you find out what's at the very root and core of yourself. And it's not always a pretty picture. In fact, rarely is it a pretty picture. It reveals the human condition of pride and selfishness and sin. But thankfully, God knows this. He knows our hearts. He knows what happened at the very beginning, and he chooses not to abandon Israel, Jesus, or us. He sustained Israel with manna. There's this word manna, which means, what is it? It doesn't, no one really knows what it's like. It's kind of described as a coriander-like flaky food that he provided for them miraculously in the wilderness. And he sustains Jesus, we'll talk about that as well. And he provides for us. He has mercy on us who are sinners, and he makes a way for us to come through these times. He kind of draws us out to the wilderness to draw him into himself, which is a really... Uh, interesting picture if you dwell on it for a little while. And he does all of this in the wilderness or the wilderness times, if you're not taking it literally. And so, the powerful thing I noted about the, the among other things, in the wilderness is that it reveals that actually we can't survive without God. But interestingly, without the wilderness and those times spent there, we'd actually never comprehend our need for God. Which kind of brings us to the second point. We need God to sustain us in those times and to save us from sin. And so we come back to the passage now. We find that Jesus is in a weakened state and the devil comes to test him and he jumps straight in with a challenge to his very identity. He says, if you are the son of God, command this stone to become bread. And the devil tempts Jesus, and to take, he tempts Jesus to take matters into his own hands. He's he's challenging him. He's trying to deceive him. And well, where whilst Israel received manna from heaven in the wilderness, Jesus had nothing. And so the devil says, "Look, look, look. Let's just get this over with. Just get some bread. Just turn that stone. We all know you can do it. We know that God's got a history of bringing water from rocks and honey from rocks and food from nowhere. So come on, come on, let's do it." And we don't hear the tone in the text, of course, when you're reading it. But, um, when I first read it, I felt like Jesus had a kind of hangry voice when he said the uh, scripture back to him, but he delivers a solid scriptural response, a firm response. He says, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. And he's quoting Deuteronomy 8.3, which concludes with this part of the sentence. It says, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. So that whole sentence is, Man shall not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. And this is a strange saying, perhaps, to us. Jesus is telling the devil that he is sustained by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. He's sustained supernaturally because he's full of the Holy Spirit and he's living in obedience to his Father. Later on uh, in his ministry, in John's Gospel, Jesus says that his food is is to do the will of the Father. And there's this kind of mysterious, strange, supernatural way that Jesus is saying that life, and life to its fullest, is only found when you completely submit to God. And even physical food is secondary to that. And in the the West, we probably find this very difficult to comprehend because food is in our face literally all the time, whether you're actually eating it, or it's on a billboard, or on your phone, or on Uber Eats, or on... The cinema screen or on your tv screen or your computer screen it pops up everywhere food 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 and so we get told that you can't live without this you must have this you need this and it just got me to thinking maybe this is an idol <laughs> maybe this is something that needs to be rooted in our hearts in a way because food glorious food is it's from the musical of course but it, it's one thing that actually we're told all the time you can't do without this and when jesus actually says no actually I live by every word that comes from my Father's mouth. And it's, it's strange, it's quite difficult. We can't unpack it all, all right now. But there's this fascinating um, mystery about it. But Jesus says it, and he says, so this is, and so on reflection, when we look at this text, uh, we've got the Holy Spirit there, sustaining Jesus supernaturally. We've got the word of God being used to push back the lies of the enemy as he tries to dethrone Jesus. And once again, our aim should be to imitate our teacher. And practically we can do this. Practically, we can come before him, we can ask him to fill us with his spirit. We can meditate and memorize the word uh, as we go through it. But ultimately, we must live in full submission to God. We must surrender and do his will. And it's it's summarized in the words of Matthew 6 33, again from Jesus. He says, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. Seek first the kingdom of God. Seek first the reign of Jesus in our lives and make sure that we're saying, thy will be done, not my will be done when we're talking to him. And so word, spirit, submission, obedience to to God enables us to be sustained in the wilderness and then wonderfully, powerfully, miraculously It enables us to be saved from the wilderness, to be taken out, to be removed, like set free, like Pippa was saying earlier on. It's God. He has this power to do that. And we know this in the story of the gospel in Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. And just to illustrate this, I'm going to tell you uh, my story. I I felt like it would be a bit mean to put someone from Kings on the spot to tell their testimony first up on the first week. And so I thought I'll do this uh, to illustrate my my point that, that God saves us from sin. Um, so I grew up in a church that its main lining of thinking was that you could earn your way to salvation by doing good stuff and being a good boy or girl and it wasn't until I was 18 that I heard the truth of the gospel that only faith in Jesus saves us from the consequences of our sin uh, which is death and I I didn't think I was much of a sinner I didn't think I did many bad things Um, but I remember being invited to a, a soul survivor event in Somerset where this gospel was preached and I knelt down and I felt the weight of guilt and sin on my shoulders. It was like it was pushing me into the ground. And that was the moment that I understood I needed Jesus to come and rescue me from sin. I needed him to rescue me from the wilderness. And so I, I was called, they called people to the front if they wanted to, to give their life to Jesus, to surrender, have their sin washed away and I went And I I I I repented, I turned away from my sin. I believed in Jesus, his death, burial, and resurrection, and I celebrated with joy. I was free. I was absolutely free, and I am free as a result of that moment of decision. But it wasn't until I acknowledged that I was a sinner. And it wasn't until I acknowledged that I needed God to save me from the wilderness of sin, to bring me out of that mud and mire that I could turn and follow him, and submit to him. And so that's really just my little illustration of how God is, s- saves us, and we need him. I can't earn my way to salvation. And so in conclusion, um, from those four short verses, what I think um, our teacher's showing us today, what I think stands out, is that those towns in the wilderness are so powerful, and they reveal we can't survive them, survive it or that time without God. However, we need to be thankful in a way for the wilderness because without the times where we get desperate and we're at our wit's end, we wouldn't be able to comprehend our need for God. And lastly, we need, to, uh, we need God to sustain us and to save us. Just like Jesus had a filling of God's spirit and his word on his lips. You know, I can imagine him walking around the wilderness, repeating scripture, repeating scripture, just remembering, because he would have learnt it all as a little boy. Uh, all those texts from the Old Testament. And we need to acknowledge as well that only God saves us. No amount of good works, uh, fasting, praying, none of that works kind of based theology is going to help us be saved from sin. We need to take, uh, need Jesus to take those sins away in exchange for eternal life. So that's my kind of conclusion there. I do want us to respond to this though. And uh, again, I sensed perhaps all this was building and, and actually what we've heard from the other areas of our worship today builds towards this moment of actually, what are you going to do about it then? What are we going to do about it? And so I want you to respond if you're here and you feel like the last two years have been like wandering in the wilderness. I want you to respond if you're exhausted, wrung out, tired, weary, if you've just had enough, if you're just completely in that place. Because Jesus says to you, come to me and I will give you rest. Come to me and I'll hold you in my arms. Secondly, I want you to respond if you feel like your whole life has been like one long wilderness, searching for meaning, searching for satisfaction, searching for the fullness of life, and you've tried this and that and this and that, and nothing has satisfied. And now you feel weighed down with it all, with a history of sin and guilt. You may even feel shame over your life as well. And if that's you, then come to Jesus. Come and be born again. Come and start again. Come and press reset. Repent and believe and put your faith in him and So I want you to respond. And I I want you to respond if you're here and you're a follower of Jesus, but, but you just want to press the reset button. You literally want to do that thing where the computer's blue screened and you're like, I just want to turn it off and turn it on again. Like it's still the same machine. Everything's still working, but it's just, if you want to press reset, if you want to recommit to living in utter dependence on Jesus, not trying to do it in your own strength, then I want you to respond. And lastly, if you're here and you just think, I just want to be full of the Spirit again. I just want to be filled up afresh. And you can respond as well. And so I don't want you to miss this. And I don't want you to miss hear Jesus like I did Matt Partridge a couple of weeks ago. I don't want you to miss hear what he's saying to you because he is saying something to you. And you can come to him now and listen. And that's what we're going to do. I'm just going to ask um, Tim just to come and play a little bit. And we're not going to move in this moment. So just, you know, sit back. Just take your moment, just take your moment now to ask Jesus, what are you saying to me and what do you want me to do about it?